I'm Jim Brown. I'm your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries, and I've been very sick for about eight or ten weeks. I'm trying to get back on my feet, and I'm going to talk to you today. I'm not going to go into some of the things I planned because I'm going to say some things to you. I'm still on the subject of demons and why they're not real. And I'll do some of that as I come back, maybe even a little bit of that today. But I'm going to talk to you about how I think over the years. When to learn the Bible, you can't just read through it and understand it the first time you read through it. You've got to know what things mean. Now, uh, I've, I was talking to Teresa and Jesse before the before I started reading the emails earlier and I was talking to him about something I just want to kind of reveal to you where I'm going with this uh, whenever you see the word throne in the Bible throne people want to think of they want to think of some throne up in heaven that a gray-headed God is sitting on and he's ruling from a throne in heaven. Well, we don't know whether that's true or not or how that will be. Nobody's ever seen heaven and come back and been able to tell us what it's about. When the Bible is talking about the throne upon the earth, it's talking about the temple talking about the temple and it's actually talking about the mercy seat the mercy seat set upon top of the ark of the covenant that was the mercy seat and God would come down out of this cloud and sit upon that throne which was also the ark of the covenant He would sit upon that. Now, anytime you find throne in the book of Revelation, it's talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Just get that in your mind. Once you understand that, you're going to begin to see what these things are talking about. The throne is the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God sat and ruled Israel from. And, of course, the Ark of the Covenant, the high priest, he had to be a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was also a Levite. Levi was the third son, the third son of of Jacob. Jacob's name having been changed to Israel. Israel in that 32nd chapter of Genesis. That was when he was wrestling with the angel of the Lord. He said, what's your name? He said, Jacob. He said, from now on it'll be Israel, meaning to prevail with God. Now, when only once a year would the high priest enter into that holy of holies, it would go through that veil. There was an altar of incense out here. 
There was the table of showbread. We don't know what those were shaped like. When I draw a square or a rectangle, we don't know. And the seven candlesticks were down here. That's very important. Very important to understand that. And when it, the Bible tells us that the high priest, once a year, you had the, these were all made of beaten gold, and these, there were six pieces of furniture to this system. Uh, there was the brazen sea, you can find that in First Kings, the seventh chapter. The brazen sea held 2,000 baths that the priest would wash in every morning, then would offer offerings upon the prescribed sacrifices. Then they'd come back and wash their hands and their feet after every offering. That's where foot washing came from, and it was a ritual of the Old Testament. Well, once a year, the high priest would come in and sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant. He would come in on the on the on tenth day of the seventh month, Nisan, not Nisan, excuse me, Tishri. Tishri was our month, September, October. So in September, October, that is the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. Yom, Yom is the Hebrew word day. Kippur is also the word kafar or kafaroth. Kafaroth, K-A-P-P-O-R-A-T-H. Different ways to spell it. The Day of Atonement on the 10th day of the 7th month. Why the 10th day of the 7th month? Their months had, they had 360 days in their calendars and their months did not exactly match up with ours. Now, Everything in the Old Testament was a shadow. The Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled. This inner sanctuary was called House of God. In the New Testament, we have a temple. The temple of the Lord was what the outer sanctuary was called. Temple. And over here in the New Testament, the Bible says, Know ye not, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which temple ye are. So everything over here in the Old Testament equals everything over here. There is a there is an Ark of the Covenant that's sprinkled in the New Testament. It's sprinkled. That's our hearts. Our hearts are sprinkled, and let's look at that over in. It took years of thinking for me to come to this understanding. Let's look at our hearts being sprinkled in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. The Bible says, Let us draw near with true with." Well, let me read more than that. Verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. In the New New Testament, the law is written on fleshy tables of our hearts. 
You find that several times in the New Testament. In Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the law is written on fleshy tables of our, excuse me, third chapter, I don't know what I'm thinking of, third chapter. And then in Hebrews, the eighth chapter, and in Hebrews, the tenth chapter, you find it written upon our hearts. In the Old Testament, the law is written upon tables of stone kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. So instead of the handwriting of orders that was blotted out was these over here. The law comes in two parts. It comes in the spirit and the letter. And the letter was the rituals and that was blotted out. Ritual. Now, our hearts are sprinkled, the Bible says right here. It says, let us, well, let's go and read verse 17. And their sins and iniquities are, I remember, no more. Now, where remission of sin is, where remission of these is, there is no offering for sin. Having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. It's not talking about going into this literal holy of holies over here. It's talking about going into the holy of holies, which is the house of God. It matches up with the house of God over here. This is God's house. He set upon the Ark of the Covenant. It means to build a house. It, it dwelled between the cherubim. Dwell is a word that means to... He dwelled between the cherubim. means to build a house or to marry. He was married to Israel over here. But he's married to the church over here. And our hearts are sprinkled and the law is written upon our hearts. I'm, bring, I'm going to a point in this I want you to see. And then he says, having our hearts sprinkled. If our hearts are sprinkled and the Ark of the Covenant is sprinkled and the law is, on, is written on tables of stone, you know where you can see that? Where it's kept inside the Ark of the Covenant? You turn back one page in Hebrews 9 after the second veil of the temple in verse 3. He will tell you in verse 2 that there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table of showbread, which is called the sanctuary. That's this out here. And then he says, And the second veil of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of holies. That's the holy of holies, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with the gold and wherein was golden pot that had manna. So it had a pot of manna inside the Ark of the Covenant. And Aaron's rod that budded. And the tables of covenant. Or the tables of stone. So there were three things in here. You can always go to this ninth chapter of Hebrews and find out what was in there. Now back over here to chapter 10 and verse 22. No, I had not 22 yet. Having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. It couldn't be this house because it's not the blood of Jesus that applied to the Ark of the Covenant here. It's the blood of a goat. So it has to be entering into the house of God. Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? We are the holy of holies. 
And the Ark of the Covenant is our heart where the law is sprinkled. It's really not as hard as it looks. Now, then he says, by a new and living way. It's a new way. It's not this old way that comes through a literal temple and through the veil to sprinkle a literal ark with the blood of a goat. We enter in by a new and living Notice the word way. What is that word way? It's the word hodos. So we enter in by new and living hodos. But we're not the high priest. Who is the high priest now? The high priest now is Melchizedek. And that is Jesus. It's an office that Jesus holds. He comes in and sprinkles our hearts sprinkles our hearts. And when He comes in and sprinkles our hearts, that is true baptism, to cover with a stain or die. Then, I'm I'm getting to a point here. By new and living hodos, there's two ways. Two ways. One is a narrow way, and one is a broad way. So we enter into the holiest Christ, the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, enters into the holiest by a narrow way. Narrow is the word Thalibo. And it is means to crowd through a narrow opening. It comes through comes from the word Thalipsis. And Thalipsis is the noun form of the verb. And Thalipsis is the word tribulation. So in order for our hearts to be sprinkled, tribulation is required of us. So we go through the narrow tribulation way when God sprinkles our hearts. And that's the true baptism. Then, I'm taking you to a point here. It's taken me years to think about this. Years. We'd enter in by a new and living way which He has consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, that is to say, let me erase some of this. I'll erase this. I can make it more clear if I erase it. And I'll leave this over here. We enter in by a new and living way. So we're canceling out this way over here. Canceling out. That's the handwriting boards that brought it out. To a living way, that is to say. Anytime you see that means I-E. That is to say. It's the same as. It means equals. That is to say means it equals what I'm about to give you. So when he says, through a new living way, through the veil, that is to say his flesh. The veil equals the flesh of Christ. So everywhere you find the flesh... It is the veil that goes into 
the Holy of Holies, which is us, which is the house of God. Hebrews 3 and 6. Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? And the inner sanctuary was called the house of God. That's us. Then he says, that is to say his flesh. Well, the Bible says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Then he turns around and tells us what eat flesh and drink blood is. He says, my flesh is meat indeed. Indeed is the word alethes, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. And that is the word of truth. And it is a form of aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A, which is the word truth. And truth is the word that comes from lanthano, which means to hide or conceal. And it's a construction of lanthano and the alpha privative, which negates the word, gives an opposite meaning. Alanthano means not to hide anything. So the veil is where we don't hide anything else. That's his flesh. The flesh is the bread, the Bible says in John 6. And the bread is the body. We being made, many are one bread and one body in 1 Corinthians 10 and 17. And the body is the church. So the, so when you see the veil, that is to say his flesh, then the veil is the bread, the body, the church. That's in anything you see. So this is the church. The church is within that house of God. Now, let me go ahead and read the rest of this because I'm getting to a point. I've thought about this for years to come to this understanding. And having, and by a new and living way through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. The high priest now, when you had, you had a high priest, you had to be a high priest in order to offer a sacrifice. The first sacrifice was offered in Genesis, the third chapter. That's where God killed an animal to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. I believe it was a lamb. They covered themselves with fig leaves and God says, that's not good enough. Somebody has to die for your sin of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's capitalism. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And that's what she saw in the tree. So in Genesis 3, the first sacrifice was offered. Had to be a high priest. In fact, it had to be Melchizedek. Because Jesus was called over in Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 7. He was called a priest forever. Forever. 
after the order of Melchizedek. The word order, order, is the word taxis. It means an orderly arrangement of priests. Of priests. An order of priests. I'm sorry I didn't get that big enough. An order of priests. That's So what you had, this had to be Jesus as Melchizedek in the order and it was passed down from generation to generation. Then you got down to you got down to Jacob who became Israel. And then out of Jacob comes twelve sons, and his third son, Levi, out of him would come the the priesthood of Aaron. And Aaron would be the priesthood until Jesus comes and John the Baptist, John baptizes him as the new high priest. And when he's nailed to the cross, all this old is passed away. It's nailed to the cross. And now everything is spiritual. So as of Jesus being nailed to the cross, the priesthood is now Melchizedek. So if he's a priest forever after the order... There had to be a high priest killing that lamb in the garden, and it had to be Jesus himself. So he was forever a priest. And the transfer comes, if you read Hebrews, the seventh chapter, that's when the transfer comes. Now let's look here and read the rest of this. Having a high priest over the house of God, the house of God, remember, is the, is the inner sanctuary. Now it's us. Then he says... Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Pure water was the living water. Living water. Now when we think of living water, we don't really know what that means. The Jews said living water, that living water was water that was running through those streams and mountains. They knew that it was pure and clean. And they said living water was in those deep wells in in Israel that were, Jacob's well was in northern Israel. And at the well of Samaria, that's where Jesus met this woman. And he said, I'll give you living water. When you said living water, there's several words that are equivalent to one another. Living water. Living water. Pure water. When this says our bodies are washed with pure water, it's talking about living water. Living Now, Jesus meets the woman in John, the fourth chapter. The woman at the well. Let's look over there at that. At John, in John, the fourth chapter, he meets this woman at the well. 
And most people don't know what these things mean. All right. John 4. You got the woman at the well of Samaria. Now, verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For, and they were, well, I need to back up a little, little here. Uh, Jesus left Judea in verse and departed again into Galilee. Galilee is northern Israel. Verse four: He must needs, he must needs go through Samaria. Samaria is a name for northern Israel. It was once a town in northern Israel, but they mean to call all of northern Israel by Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. It was a deep well. They knew that living water or cold water is at the bottom of it. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cameth a woman of Samaria to draw water, Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to buy to to the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria to him, How is it thou, thou being a Jew, askest me, which am a woman of Samaria? And Jews don't even talk, talk to people in Samaria, much less women. They weren't supposed to do that. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked me, and I would have given thee living water. But she thinks living water is the bottom of that well, because it's some river flowing down there. And the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to drink with, and the well is deep. From whence then is that living water? I thought that was the living water down there. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and saith unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again, if you get this water from the bottom of this well. But whosoever drinketh the water that I give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well springing up unto everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he to whom thou hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. So he's talking about living water. He's talking about spiritual water. So living water is something that's spiritual. It's pure. You have to learn to differentiate between the two. Now, whenever you find in the Bible water that's flowing or water that's living, I'm going to give you something that I was talking to Teresa and Jesse about. Let's go over here to let's go over here to uh, Revelation 
Revelation, the Revelation, the twenty second chapter. Twenty second chapter. Now this is something I've been working on for a long time to understand the actual understanding of what it's talking about. You have to learn to think figurative. I would say abstract. Some people say, I don't know what that means. That means something is has the same meaning as something else. You have to look at it that way. Look at the 22nd chapter. Anytime you find living water and there's a spiritual concept, it has to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, The man that drinks living water, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. If If we drink of the Spirit... The Holy Spirit is the truth. That's going back to what we were talking about a while ago. That this veil is his flesh, and the flesh is the bread, the bread is the body, and the flesh is the truth. The flesh is the truth. So, I want us to look here. So, wherever there's living water, it's talking about the truth. That's very abstract thinking. If you don't think abstract... You can't understand a lot of the Bible. Now look here in in the twenty second chapter of Revelation. I don't have to, I did four hundred and I did four and a half years on the book of Revelation. I hit on this right here, but I've seen some things about it. Here in the twenty second chapter. And he showed me a pure river. If it's pure, it's living water. You have to apply that. He washed us with pure water. A pure river, a water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne. If it's out of the throne, thronos. Where it's coming from is out of the throne which is the Ark of the Covenant, which is now our hearts, and of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. So the living water, the truth, comes out of the mouth. We are the house of God. It comes out of our mouths and goes out to the world. Can you see that? That's what this is talking about. Crystal, I think of when the Bible's talking about, I I don't I hate to get into it. I'll go, I'll stay in it too long. But when it's talking about in that fourth chapter, the throne of God, you've got to keep in mind is the Ark of the Covenant. That's the mercy seat of God. He sits upon the throne of our hearts. That's where He rules from, and out of our mouth comes the living water, which is the truth. Right. Is that fairly simple? That's not even hard, is it? It just and these guys that invent things and there's a throne up in heaven and it's full of gold and silver and we're walking on streets of gold and it's like they don't even look at the figure don't listen to Jack Van Empey or Hal Lindsey. They don't have any idea what this is about. Then when you look back at Revelation the fourth chapter 
and it describes the temple, what it describes. And our bodies are the temple of God. They're with the temple of the Holy Spirit. Which temple ye are? And being the temple, we're the house of God. That's the inner sanctuary. And our hearts are sprinkled like the Ark of the Covenant was. And the law is written on fleshy tables of heart, just like it was written on tables of stone over there. You can read about the table of stone writing over in, Dan- in uh, Deuteronomy, the ninth chapter, and several other places over there. So when you look at, I love this. You look here in the fourth chapter, and you see the throne of God. In verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. Heaven was another title for Israel. Kingdom of heaven, or they called it the heavens, and new heavens and new earth meant there was going to be new ruling class, which would be the church. And we rule with the scepter of righteousness. So there's the throne in heaven, which is our hearts. You don't have a throne one place it's different than somewhere else. And he talks about 24 elders. There were 24 sons of Aaron in the 24th chapter of 1 Chronicles. And of Ithamar and Eliezer had 24 sons. And these are the ones that cast their crowns. They have gold crowns on their heads. And that you'll find that in the... In the uh, the gold crowns are in Exodus, the 28th chapter and 36th verse, and Leviticus, the 8th chapter and the 9th verse. They've got gold crowns on their head, and these 24 others go before Christ. This is the transfer. This is the transfer from the Aaronic priesthood to Christ. They cast their crowns. The four and 20 elders in verse 10 fall down before him and sit on the throne and worship him and live forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne before the Ark of the Covenant. Because he's the one that sits upon the throne of our hearts. And they're casting those crowns that says, Holiness to the Lord. You can read that in Exodus twenty-eight thirty-six. Like, Let me just look at that real quick. Exodus 28, 36. I'll get it here in a minute. Exodus 28 and 36. This is the crowns that they're throwing. This is not, we're going to cast our crowns before his feet. This is what the verse people use to say that. That's ridiculous. You don't have crowns. You have Stephanos. And then 28 and 36. Verse 36, Thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and grave it upon the gravings of the signet, holiness to the Lord, and thou shalt put it on blue lace that it may be upon the mitre and upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be, and it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, and that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things with the children of Israel shall hallow and all their holy gifts, and it shall always be upon his forehead that they may be accepted of the Lord. That's the crowns that they cast at the feet of Melchizedek who sits on the throne. Can you see that? That's like, if you know what the Old Testament says, 
if you don't go into the spiritual Ark of the Covenant, which is our hearts, and you don't go into the spiritual crowns and them casting their literal crowns, this is a figurative picture of all the Aaronic priesthood saying, we submit. I like the word acquiesce. It means to gently submit to you on the throne. Melchizedek. There's never been a time where there's not a high priest in Israel. If we're spiritual Israel and our hearts are the Ark of the Covenant, that's what it's about. Now, let's go back over here to to Revelation. And you know that's what this is about because uh, they've got crowns of gold in verse 6 of Revelation 4. And, they, and before the throne was a sea of glass. Well, the sea of glass, you go to Exodus 38 and 8, and you know what that's talking about. Exodus 38 and verse 8. Let's go over. 38 and verse 8. And Moses tells all the women, bring your looking glasses. Bring your looking glasses. And he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass and the looking glasses of the women assembling. And their looking glasses were made out of bronze, polished bronze. They didn't know how to make glass like we do and make mirrors. So the women used bronze glasses. I remember watching the Ten Commandments when Charlton Heston went in as Moses went into Nefertiti and she's looking into one of those bronze looking glasses. So that's why it's called a sea of glass. It doesn't mean somewhere up in heaven there's a sea of literal glass, like I was told when I was a kid. It's talking about the looking glasses of the women. It's really basic, simple understanding if you look at the Old Testament. I keep saying, Revelation is a Jewish book. you got the seven candlesticks in the first chapter. I wonder where that came from. Exodus 25th chapter. If you don't go to the Old Testament, you can't understand Revelation. It's basic. And before the throne was a sea of glass. And he says, in front of the throne were seven lamps. Right in front of the throne. In the Old Testament. Right in front of the throne were seven candlesticks. We've already understood that the spiritual candlesticks, according to the first chapter of Revelation, the spiritual candlesticks are the spiritual seven churches of Asia. And the all inside the candlesticks is the seven spirits. Spirit is always a picture of the oil. That's the oil. And then, I don't know how I got off on all this, but I did. So they cast their thrones and they're submitting to Christ. That's the transfer. In fact, if you look at Hebrews 7, you'll see the transfer. Hebrews 7. The point I want you to remember, anywhere you find living water, pure water, running water out of the throne, it has to do with the Holy Spirit. That's what it has to do with. And Hebrews, where did I say was going? Hebrews 7. This is the transfer of Melchizedek. But if, 
if you don't look at the Old Testament, you're not going to have the slightest idea what this is talking about. Now, Hebrews 7. All through this is talking about Melchizedek. Verse 11. 7 verse 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, out of which came Aaron the high priest, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? That's being blotted out and stopped. That stops when they submit. It's not like a place in time. It's whenever the Bible says the Aaronic priesthood ceases when Christ is nailed to the cross. All the rituals of the Old Testament are blotted out. For the priesthood being changed, the word changed is a word that means transferred. It means to be toward metatithame. It means to be, there's a transition. It's transferred. For the priesthood being changed, metatithame, 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 being changed, transferred, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. So there's a change of the law. The law, the rituals are blotted out, it's no longer applicable. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe. Oh, who does it, what tribe is he spoken of? Well, the tribe it's going to be transferred to, it's going to be from Levi, the third son, to Judah, the fourth son. Out of Judah would come the king, and now the king and the priest is Jesus. That's what it's talking about. Let's just read it and see. For he of who these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance to the altar. Nobody from Judah ever came to the altar. Only the Levites came to the altar until Melchizedek priesthood takes over. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. That's Now the priesthood is out of Judah. And of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Didn't come out of Judah. Came out of Levi. Leviticus means the the, the doctrines of the Levites. For it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there arises another priest who is made not after the law of carnal commandments. Carnal means fleshly commandments. That's what the Old Testament was for. But after the power of an ending, ending life. For he testified that thou art a priest forever after the order, after the taxes, after the orderly arrangement of Melchizedek. For there is barely a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. That way there wasn't any profitableness offering bulls and goats. Hebrews 10 says, the blood of goat, bulls and goats won't take away sin. All they were doing was looking forward to Christ. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of 
of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. Now, go back over here to Revelation 22. I'm just kind of showing you wherever this living water is, spiritually, that's the Holy Spirit. Any water that's moving, let's read that first one again. He showed me a pure river. That has to be Holy Spirit. Of water of life. The living water is the Spirit. It's the truth. Clear as crystal, just like just like the crystal sea. Of the, it's called a crystal sea in the 15th chapter of Revelation. Proceeding out of the throne. Where is the throne of God now? It's our hearts, isn't it? That's where Jesus sits. It's upon our hearts. Out of our hearts comes this living water. We know it comes out of our hearts because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Comes from our mouths. That's the truth. That's the living water. And then he goes on to say, In the midst of the street, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life. And I don't have time to go into that. The tree of life is our mother, Jerusalem. It's wisdom and understanding, according to the third chapter of Proverbs. And when we honor our mother, Jerusalem, the church, we're heavenly Jerusalem, the church. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 22, we're heavenly Jerusalem, the church. And which bear 12 manner of fruit, and yield every yield her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Nation is the word ethnos. Ethnos is also the word Gentile. There's a time period from Acts two. through the end of time. That's why I believe we have to be close to the end. If a day is the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, we're coming up to a thousand years from 33 A.D. I'm not saying the Lord is going to come in 2033, but I'm saying I don't see how we could be much far past that with the condition of the world. With everything that's going on in the Middle East and everything that's going on in America, I don't know how we can get to 2033 or 2035. I'm not naming any dates. I'm just simply saying we had that in these last days, the Lord is going to pour out of His Spirit on all flesh. Not all men. All men in one sense. All men. All flesh, the Gentiles. That's what it's talking about here. When it, when we're talking about in Acts two, the Gentiles all the way to the end of time are the ones that are going to have the truth. The Gentile elect in the church, red, yellow, white, black, and brown flesh. Then he says, there was a tree of life, and it was for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in this 
system in us. And out of our hearts will flow rivers of living waters. That's what this, if you can find out what the living waters is, living water is pure water. I want us to look over at Ezekiel. Anywhere you find pure water. One place we need to go before we go there, got to go to Matthew 10. People don't have any idea what this means when they read it. I've never heard anybody even comment on it. Matthew 10. Looking at the very last verses of Matthew 10. Jesus is commanding his apostles to go into all the world and teach. And he names the tribes. And he says here in 42, 10 and 42, Whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water. There was no cold water in Israel unless you were close to Jacob's well or one of those deep waters. But that's not what he's talking about. Cold water was living water. It's interchangeable with that water down at the bottom of those wells. It's living water. So he's saying, Whosoever shall give to drink one of these little ones a cup of living water, which is the Holy Spirit, only in the name of a disciple, Mathetes, a learner, Verily I said you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. You're not going to be able to understand that verse unless you know what they meant by cold water. He's talking about living water. Now, let's go back over here. I'm going to show you something that people wrestle with. I've wrestled with for years. Go back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is in... He's in Babylon. And when you get past the 39th chapter, chapter 37, 38, and 39, about destruction at the end of time. And then you get into a rebuilding of the temple of God. I'm just going to show you some things that I'm been working on to put together. You have to stay figurative. Now, there is a literal temple going to be built. But uh, there's something about Ezekiel you have to know. You can in no way construct any understanding of this unless you know that Ezekiel, there were three deportations of Israel, of southern Judah, being carried over to Babylon. And Ezekiel is believed to have been carried away in the second deportation. That was a non-military deportation with no war involved. And he's being carried away over here 
And there was a first deportation. And that was around 605 B.C. The second one where Ezekiel, it's believed Ezekiel and Daniel were carried away. Daniel and Ezekiel. It's believed they were carried away somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 Kings, the 24th chapter, along with Jehoiakim the king. Jehoiakim. He was the king at one point. And they were carried away during this second deportation. Here's something I'm concluding by my studies. You're going to find in Ezekiel instructions on rebuilding the temple. And there's instructions in there that doesn't make any sense to you and I. And what it is, it's like a blueprint. Or we would call it a schematic. A schematic is a, it's more or less a a blueprint of a sort of how to build the temple. And you'll read all through these things. You'll say, what are they talking about? (laughs) Have any of you read any of that? Have you read it? You don't know what to do with it, do you? (laughs) Because I didn't. It's like, wow. But you can find some living water equated with this temple. And it has to be, there has to be a, you'll find in some of these places, you'll find Zadok being a high priest in that 46th verse of the 40th chapter. And Zadok was was one of the literal high priests. I believe what Ezekiel is doing, when Ezekiel is over in Babylon, God is giving him visions of what's happening over here in Israel and all the apostasy they're involved in and it'd take all day long to read the apostasy they're involved in. But when Ezekiel when Ezekiel is over here, he's over here in Babylon. Ezekiel is over here. When he's over here prophesying, the temple hasn't been destroyed yet. When the temple is destroyed Nobody over here in Israel is keeping, is sitting down and writing down a blueprint how to rebuild the temple. I believe that's exactly what Ezekiel is doing. Without Ezekiel's blueprint of the temple, they're not, these, these guys that are apostate over here, they're not going to know how to build it. So he's laying it out. But while he's laying it out, <clears throat> He's also giving some things in it that show living water. And it's very figurative language. Let's look over here in Ezekiel, the 47th chapter. 
And he's talking about waters here that are living. And they're proceeding out of the throne of God. That can't be literal. It can't be the literal Ark of the Covenant. It has to be the spiritual. It has to be our hearts. It's as though Ezekiel is crisp. Ezekiel is one of the most difficult books to understand when you get into this temple. It's like, what do we do with this? Well, read 47 verse 1. Afterward he brought me and again into the door of the house, and behold, waters issued from out under the threshold of the house. The threshold was the door going into the temple. It was actually called Solomon's porch in the old in the Old Testament. There's waters issuing out of here. Where's it coming from? It has to be coming from the ark, according to the rest of the scripture. It has to be coming from the ark of the covenant, which would be it's like Ezekiel is making a a synthesizing of spiritual and literal. Let's just read some of this. From under the threshold of the house, eastward. East, well, the temple faced east. This is north, west, south. It faced east. And so it's issuing out of the, out of the threshold of God's house, going east. Well, there's not a literal lake or river coming out of the literal temple. He has to be talking about spiritual things here. Doesn't he? Let's read on here. Of the house, the house of God is us. The house of the Lord, that's what they called the house over in when it says that God dwelt between the cherubim He says it in Isaiah, says it several other places. When he dwelt between the cherubim, it's talking about dwelt is a word that means to build a house or to marry. So the house of God was the inner sanctuary. So when you find house, that's going to be a picture of us spiritually. And the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. The south side of the altar, the altar's here. The south side would be here. But there has to be a mixture here of literal and spiritual. This is a, one of the hardest things in the Bible for people to understand. But I believe it's because they don't understand that Ezekiel is over in Babylon and the temple hadn't been destroyed yet. And what he's doing is setting up a blueprint to build when they go back to build in 538. In 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes in and levels the temple. And what instruction do they have other than Ezekiel? None! So he tells them how to build it. Gives you all the steps and the different... You can read this section and you're going, Wow! What is he talking about? Well, let's read on down here. You're going to find living water all through here. 
<clears throat> then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward and behold there ran out waters on the right side so it's talking about waters the same thing he's saying if you match it up with revelation 20 and 1 and 2 you can match it up with that it has to be spiritual none of the literal was important it was all spiritual that was important I'm going to flip over there and just remind you what it says in Revelation 20. And he showed me a pure river of water of crystal clear, uh, water of life clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, the throne being the Ark of the Covenant. That's the same thing that's happening here in the 47th chapter of Ezekiel. Then brought he me out, verse 2, in the way of the gate northward, led me out by the way unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward and behold there ran waters on the right side that's living water the waters don't if waters are standing still it's not living and when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward he measured a thousand cubits boy I could go into a man with a measuring line you find the same man with a measuring line in Leviticus, the first chapter, the first two verses. You find the same man with a measuring line in Revelation 11, measuring the temple of God. And if he's measuring the temple, what is the measurement? What do you measure with? The horizo. Pro horizo. Horizo means the boundary of light. You you can't... Horizon is our word horizon. So wherever you see a man measuring in the temple of God, it has to be measuring God's people. And then he says... Where was I? Verse 3. When the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. And as the water runs, we see that it gets deeper and deeper. This is a picture of truth or the Holy Spirit getting deeper in our life. And again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters. And the waters were to the knees. Well, then it has to be living water. It has to be spiritual. Can we see that? Must be. And again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the loins, and afterwards he measured a thousand. It was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen. And where is it coming from? Out of the throne of God, out of the threshold. Waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. Let's read a little more. And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. And that has to be the river of life. Now when I returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. That's what it says in Revelation 22. And there was a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruit. It was for the healing of the nations or for the Gentiles. If you don't get into spiritual things, you can't even read Ezekiel and, and even begin to think the way he's thinking. 
Let's read some more. Then said he unto me, These waters issued out toward the east country and go down into the desert. It's talking about it's going out to the Gentiles. It's the same thing Isaiah said all through his book. He said, Salvation will come to the Gentiles. The Gentiles will come to the light, to the original, to the boundary. And I could take time to go through Isaiah and give you all those places. And the Gentiles coming to the light, they were the spirits in prison. Prison means the division of day and light, or light and darkness. And they were in the darkness from Adam until Christ. The Gentiles were. They were the spirits in prison. I'm going to read some more of this. Verse 8. These waters issued out toward the east country and go down into the desert. I believe that's talking about the Gentiles. And go into the sea and being brought forth into the sea, the water shall be healed. If they're going into the sea, they're going to the... The Bible speaks that God's truth will be from sea to sea and shore to shore. So he's going to heal the seas where the Gentiles are. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. That has to be spiritual waters, living waters. And there shall be a great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live where the river cometh. It has to be the river of life, not where a real, not where a literal river flows. Can you see that? It sees some. And I'm going to work much more on this because I believe what Ezekiel did when he gave some of these these instructions about building, see if I can find some of it. He's talking about building steps and uh, building various places. And, it's some, and you read it and you think, I don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense unless you're thinking about Ezekiel is giving a blueprint for them to rebuild the temple after after he's dead and gone. He's over in Babylon. He's carried to Babylon in five ninety six. They don't start they don't start get a decree to rebuild the temple till five thirty eight. That's Ezekiel's probably dead by then. But if they have anything they have his instructions through this book on how to build the temple. And it's it if you read it, it's very confusing. Uh, he brought me through the entry which was at the side of the gate unto the holy chambers of the priest and looked into the north, and there was a place on the two sides, and he said to me, he's talking about about offerings given, how many steps to build. I'm just I'm just reading some things out of it. And when you read it about this temple you don't have any idea what he's talking about. Have you read it? Have you read some of this? And it just doesn't... You don't know what to do with it. That's because you're not one of the priests of God. They wouldn't know what to do with it when they were given the tree to build the temple in 538. When they were destroyed in 586, there was nobody keeping notes about how to build the temple. They wasn't even concerned about the temple. They were offering sacrifices to Tammuz there in Israel. So they're not concerned whether the temple is going to be rebuilt or be destroyed or not. How much time do I have, Mike? 25. 
Lordy me. I was going to show you something else. Maybe if I can give you a little bit on what they're saying here on building the... I'll just read some out of one of these chapters. Uh, In verse 13 of chapter 43... These are the measurements of the altar after the cubits. The cubit is a cubit and a hand breadth. Even the bottom of, of it shall be a cubit and the breadth of cubit and the border thereof by the edge thereof round about shall be a span and this shall be the higher place of the altar and from the bottom of the ground even to the lower settle shall be two cubits. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything to me and you. It meant something to the priests that were going to rebuild the temple when the time was come for them to rebuild it some 40 or 50 years later. It was a blueprint. He talks about the outer sanctuary. When you get to that section, it will say something. When the Bible says all scriptures are given by inspiration from God and it's profitable, You'll run across some things in here that are good. There's a particular verse that I used to use, and I've used it at times. When you get to verse 22 in chapter 41, the altar of wood was three cubits high. Now this is talking about the altar where they offered all the sacrifices. This is talking about this altar where the daily sacrifices were offered. And it says something peculiar here that makes some sense. The altar of wood was three cubits high, and the length thereof two cubits, and the corners thereof, and the length thereof, and the walls thereof were of wood. And he said unto me, This is the table of the Lord. Now, this is very important to understand. The altar, let me just use this and what I was using over here. This is describing the literal altar where they offered all the sacrifices and the priests came over there and every sacrifice was offered with salt. You'll find that in Leviticus, the first chapter and several other places. And the priest, the high priest, as they washed themselves, they would offer burnt sacrifices. And they would come over here with something called a flesh hook. And they would dip into that sacrifice, and what they pulled out, they got to eat. That's why it was called the table of the Lord. And when you run into that, it's going to crisscross with the table of the Lord in the New Testament. In fact, when you go over to Malachi, go to Malachi. That's the last book of the Old Testament. Look in that first chapter. Look in the first chapter of Malachi. <clears throat> And Malachi is rebuking Israel for offering crippled sheep on the altar. And he says, 
Verse 7, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar. That would be the table there we're talking about. And you say, when have we polluted thee? In that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. And he says, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, that's not a sacrifice. Is it not evil? You come to the altar, the table of the Lord, and you bring a blind lamb, and that's one you don't want, so you offer that. He says, that makes the table of the Lord contemptible. Table of the Lord. That's what that altar was called. Sometimes Ezekiel and other prophets will interchange from spiritual to literal to spiritual to literal. And then he says, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, if it's not evil, if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? You don't want that old goat or that old lamb, so offer it. They were supposed to line the lambs up and count them off. One, two, three, four. And they get to the tenth one that belonged to the Lord. And like I've said before, if your pet lamb was in there and it was fluffy and he was number ten, you couldn't substitute another crippled one for fluffy. You better make sure fluffy's not the tenth one. If she is, you got to order for her as a sacrifice. Then he says, is not that evil? Offer it now to the governor. Tell, tell the IRS, I'll give you $100 instead of the 10000 that you want. They're not going to take that. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Now, turn over to the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and you can see what I'm talking about. 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I'm still working on this pure water out of Ezekiel. The 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Maybe you'll understand this now. Verse 21, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord. What is the cup of the Lord? That's death to self, isn't it? To drink of a cup meant to undergo death. And the cup of devils. The word devil is daemonion. D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. Which means to distribute fortunes. What he's saying, he's not saying, I'm not allowing you to drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. He said you cannot die to self, which to drink of a cup means a death, die to self, and fulfill self at the same time. That's what he's saying. You can't have self and and crucify self at the same time. You can't be on top of a building and on the bottom of a building at the same time. You can't be 20 miles from here and be right here at the same time. You cannot have death to self and fulfill self at the same time. That's what it says. And then he says, you cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and the table of Demonion at the same time. You cannot have death to self and fulfill self at the same time. 
He's not saying, I'm not going to let you. He says, it's not, it's not possible to do it. So I hope you can understand that. Now, I've got so many things on this to say. I just, I've, I've wanted to get back into the demon thing, but I don't think I've got any time to do that. I just want you to understand that you cannot, I think these things out over long periods of time. I'm going to be working on the throne of God. When you find the throne, wherever you find it, there's something I was going to give you here. I misplaced my paper. See if I can find it. I want to give you something on... Let's go back over to Revelation. Revelation, the... I want you to look at this, the throne of God. Hope you can understand that the throne is, the throne is, is the Ark of the Covenant. And when, when we're talking about water coming out of the throne, we're talking about the truth coming out of our mouths. Because it emanates from the heart. Of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, I miss my, I have misplaced what I wanted to show you. But you go back over there and you look at throne. Everywhere you find throne. Out of the throne of God. And the Bible says that these spirits, which in the first chapter of Revelation, that the seven stars are the seven spirits are the seven spirits of the seven churches. That's in verse 20 of first chapter. The seven spirits are before the throne of God. If they're before the throne of God, they're before the Ark of the Covenant. You can't understand Revelation without understanding what's going on over here in the Old Testament. You understand that? You can't, there's nothing in here. When you find these Seven spirits before the throne. They're the seven candlesticks before the throne. They're those candlesticks right here. And that's the seven churches of Asia, spiritually. Well, you find the seven spirits are before the throne. And when you find the spirits in front of the throne, everywhere you find these seven spirits, this is something people need to understand. He defines for you the seven spirits in chapter 1. There's seven stars in the right hand of Christ. Then he says in verse 20, the seven stars that you saw and the seven golden candlesticks, the stars are the seven angels. When he gives you that, he gives you a glossary for the whole book. And the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. So when you find... You find seven angels in Revelation 8. You already know what they are. The seven angels are the seven stars in his right hand. And the seven stars are the seven spirits. Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Each of those candlesticks were filled with olive oil. 
And oil is always a picture. Olive oil. That's always a picture of the Holy Spirit, which is truth. If you can't think figurative language, I don't know how people who don't think abstract can even understand this. And then you find the same angels in Revelation 8. You always have to revert back to verse 20, what the seven angels are. The seven angels are the seven spirits of the seven churches. And then when you go over to Revelation 8, you've got seven angels, which are the seven same angels. Same seven angels. And he says here in Revelation 8, I saw these seven angels. The is a definite article. means there's only one set of seven angels. These seven angels, which are the seven spirits of the seven churches. And to these angels were given seven trumpets. I keep saying trumpets are voices. They announce what they want the soldiers to do. If they sound reveille, it's time to get up in the morning. If they sound charge, it's time to charge the enemy. The way the troops knew what to do, they listened to the trumpeter. It was a voice. So when you see uh, when you see a trumpet like a voice in chapter 1 verse 10 I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet and you find a trumpet in the fourth chapter that's a voice telling announcing what to do then when you get to the eighth chapter you've got you've got seven angels with seven trumpets in verse 6 the seven angels which had seven trumpets and they begin to sound the first angel sounds in verse 7 the second angel sounds in verse 8 the third angel sounds in verse 10 and the fourth angel sounds in verse 12 the fifth angel sounds in 9 and 1 the sixth angel sounds in 9 and and 13 and the seventh angel sounds in 10 and verse 7 and when the seventh angel sounds that's the last trump and we're going to be changed at the last trump I don't know how people miss this and when the seventh angel sounds time is over there'll be no more time and the mystery of God which is the church is complete it's finished teleotes there's no more to be done and wherever you find the seven angels when you get over here into chapter 15 this shows you the seven angels same seven angels of one in 20 and I saw another sign in heaven great marvelous and seven angels having the seven last plagues so they're going to pour out these seven plagues upon the earth and the first plague comes in verse 2 of chapter 16 the second plague comes in 3 the third plague comes in 4 and the fourth angel pours out his his vial of Wrath in verse 8, the 5th in verse 10, the 6th in verse 12. And it's, it's a lot to this. When, you, when people say, uh, I don't believe the earth is heating up, well, that's crazy. I mean, the hottest days we've ever had are recently. And we're setting, we're setting, setting all kinds of records 
And the way you tell whether one year is hotter than the other, they take the temperature of every day of the year, and then they add it all up and divide it by 365, and they'll tell you the average heat on the day. And it's hotter than it's ever been. And that's what Revelation 16 and and verse 9 and 10. And the men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power of these plagues, and they repented not of to give him glory. This is happening. This is going to happen at the end. They'll curse God for the heat. The way you curse God, you curse the heat. See, I don't like the heat. Do I believe that we're going to have hotter and hotter? Yeah. God said, I'm not ever going to flood the earth again, but he didn't say, I'm not going to heat up the earth. Didn't say that. Do I have any time, Mike? Eight, Eight minutes. I'm about done with this. I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm going to show you some things on on demons that I haven't brought out. I'm, what I'm trying to do is just, I'm getting very tired today from this sickness I've had. I'm going to end this a little early. But I hope I've showed you a little bit how I think. I'm constantly thinking, I'm thinking... Uh, synthesizing things together spiritually and literally. It's it's a very figurative way of thinking. If you can't think abstract, you really can't understand a lot of the Bible. The Bible is abstract. You got to know. You got the blending of the priesthood when Christ, when the Aaronic priesthood goes out. John the Baptist was a descendant of Aaron. He was in the Aaronic priesthood. In fact, in the first chapter of Luke, the Bible says his father Zacharias was of the was of the eighth course of Abiah, and you can find that course in the twenty fourth chapter of First Chronicles. The twenty fourth course was Abiah, and John the Baptist was his father was of that course. They had so much time, they'd go in the temple and do the offerings. Then that would be their course, maybe two weeks. And then they would go off their course, and his father just came off. It would be like going work in the night shift, something like that. He had a shift, he had to work as a priest. Well, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to come back next week. Y'all forgive me for not filling up the full hour and a half. I'm very, very tired from this thing I've had. Just be praying for me that God will give me strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, I pray that you'll give me strength to continue this work. Lord, help us to see these puzzles of the picture that you've given us. Lord, we I thank you for showing me the living water, how it's always the truth. Lord, I pray that you'll fight every battle we have and we'll praise you for everything strengthen the church these people that write these emails give them strength to understand to understand your truth is here forever and we won't understand it all in one day we'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name Amen I hope that 
gives you some kind of insight on some things. I have to wrestle with things sometimes for years before I get clearness on it. I don't I don't just see something all of a sudden. I've been wrestling with this thing on living waters a long time. I believe living waters is the answer to what to what uh, Ezekiel was talking about. He's talking about a spiritual temple and a literal temple. it would have to be some of the sons of Zadok if they're going to rebuild the temple have to be his descendants I hope that clears just a little bit not much you can't get a full picture oh you got me going so many directions I probably can't even get home I really really believe what Ezekiel was doing was giving a blueprint for the temple because there wasn't going to be one Think of how our earthly temple has to be torn down and we're carried away and then we're brought back and rebuilt. And the word, the truth, is the instructions for building of yeah. that spiritual temple. It's in our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. So he builds. You wouldn't do this to me because I won't be able to speak. <laughs> Without abstract thinking, you can't understand the Bible. You can't get a hold of it. Because he talks about Zadok being a part of the temple, and Zadok was one of the main priests of Aaron. That he was the one that David favored. Uh, that uh, no, he was there with Saul, and then Saul gave him a spot in the temple along with Abiathar. And those are the two main priests that they came from, Abiathar and Zadok. When Zadok is in that temple, then he's talking about a literal temple at that point. But he switches and goes to spiritual temple when he's talking about these waters that come out of the threshold of God. The threshold was the door of the temple. But waters didn't come out of the literal temple. It comes out of us. And once you can understand living water, that clears up a lot. And know the difference between the living waters under the ground and the living waters that Jesus said is the truth, the Spirit. It clears a lot of mushy things up. I think about those things constantly. They never get out of my mind.